I don't know if you are much of a computer gamer. Uh, I have been at different times in my life. There's very few games where, you know, a, a wide section of people have actually played. A lot of better games are more recent. But I will show you a game, and I'd like to see a show of hands of anyone who's ever played this game, okay? At any time in their life, have you ever played The Sims? Hands up if you have. Yeah, that's actually a really big number, because if I put up, like, say, you know, Fortnite or Minecraft or even League of Legends, there'd probably be fewer hands, because The Sims, believe it or not, has been around for 19 years. And I read an article recently about how popular it still is, and how people, after a break of, you know, maybe 10 years, have come back to it. I don't know, does anyone still... No show of hands, but maybe you still play this game. Now, in case um, you've been living under a rock, you don't know what The Sims is, uh, it's basically a life simulator game, uh, and you get to control a character in a virtual world, and it's open-ended, right? and you direct their lives. It's actually the highest selling series uh, of computer games, 19 years, almost 20 years. There's actually people who make YouTube videos, often funny YouTube videos about The Sims, and they make a living just making those YouTube videos. They have no other job. There's enough watching them to give them enough money to... So what's the attraction? What's the attraction of a game like The Sims? If, if you've played it before, you probably know. Well, for some people, the attraction of playing The Sims is... Deep down inside, some people just like being God, right? You just like to play God. So uh, I read this guy who um, had been playing, you'll see there, for 32 hours, and he wrote, I had 12 kids with eight different women, became president, then died while I tried to cook spaghetti. <laughs> That's the reason why some people play The Sims. Now, for others, as I said, I read a newspaper, an ABC article this week, um, 36-year-old Alicia Tan from Sydney. <laughs> Someone's going to be like, I know her. Hopefully not, hopefully not. Um, she took a 10-year break and then went and has come back to really love The Sims. She's now hooked again after a 10-year break. Now, why does she play The Sims? Well, the article said, Alicia said that, well, in real life, living in Sydney, she can't afford to buy a house. <laughs> but in The Sims, she can, and a nice house at that. Yeah, and it's that aspect. That, that may be the reason why some people really love this game. We can live out a virtual life better than we can in real life. That's a pretty appealing form of escapism, right? Have the job you couldn't have in real life, have the education, have the boyfriend, girlfriend, eight women that you couldn't have in real life. But you can do it virtually. Now, the reason why I mention it is because The Sims and how popular it is, but in, in a sense, a lot of kind of any role-playing game is like that. It shows you that we human beings can't help but make meaning. Yeah, we, we can't help but make meaning, whether it's in real life or virtually. In fact, the creator of the, the, the game, a guy called Will Wright, he has said that he was influenced by a 1940s uh, psychologist, a guy called Abraham Maslow. No, there's a few psych students and graduates there. Um, Abraham Maslow identified that for all human beings, there are basically five basic life goals, right? Five life goals that we all need, because we're unlike animals. Animals happily live on instinct, on survival, but human beings all want goals, meaningful, purposeful goals, not just things that we need, but also wants and goals and dreams and desires. In fact, you'll probably know that our happiness and our health depend on these things, purpose. You, you take meaning away, 
and people literally shrivel up and die. So I wonder how you would answer the question, what's the meaning of your life? What's the meaning of your life? And if you have an answer, how satisfied are you with your answer? Because I don't know why you've come and who asked you to come along and where you're at in your spiritual journey, but there's a chance that at least for some of us, no matter what our answer is, deep down inside, we're wondering if that's enough. We're wondering if there's something more. Now, I'm going to um, talk for the next uh, half an hour or so, and I've got three points. You can follow along with the logic if you want to. That might help some. It just doesn't. Don't worry about it. But um, the first thing I want to do is talk a little bit about this idea of meaning. Like, what, what do we even mean when we say meaning in life? Well, I think there's two broad things that we are talking about when it comes to the question of meaning. And they're separate, but they're very related. Okay, what are they? Number one, I think it has to do with significance. The meaning question is the who are we or what are we question. And the second is the purpose one. That's, you know, what are we here for? What's the reason? What's the goal? Right? Significance and purpose. So even when we look at um, objects, like if, if you came across this object and I know there's a lot of Asians here, but imagine if you'd never seen it before. And you're asking the question, what is the meaning of these two wooden sticks? What are you asking? Well, you firstly want to know what it is. Chopsticks. But then you'd also want to know, what does it do? What's its purpose? Right? Is it a weapon, like in those Chinese Kung Fu movies? They actually use it as weapons. Um, is it some sort of skewer? Is it, what is it? Well... It's to eat with. It's to shovel rice in your mouth. It's to pick up food. And I can't use chopsticks very well. It's very embarrassing. My wife, who um, is very Australian, very Anglo, she uses it better than me. But apparently, this is how you're supposed to use chopsticks, right? Yeah, I, I use it like that. Um, anyway, okay, chopsticks. What it is, what's it for? That's its meaning. Now, what about life? When we ask the question of life and the meaning of life, well, again, firstly, it's significance. We want to know... Not just who we are, we want to know that who we are matters. Yeah? We want to know who we are and that it matters. But then also, we want to know, number two, purpose, don't we? We want to know what we're here for, and we want to know that what we do matters. And so a person has meaning in life when they know who they are and what they pur their purpose is. Now, when it comes to meaning, um, there are actually three basic options, and it's pretty representative of most people out there and most people here. And uh, they're under one, A, B, and C on under point one. But basically, the first option is there is no meaning when it comes to life. No meaning. Now, last week, if we were here with us, we looked at the question of how do we know God is real? And I said, there is this a view of the world, and it's quite popular, about one in four people believe there is no God. One in four Australians, sorry, believe there, are no, there is no God. In which case, they believe in what's called a closed universe. Okay, no God, uh, no life after death, no spirit, right? Just matter plus time plus chance, right? Evolution is all there is. And evolution is essentially uh, a, an accident. And that's all there is. It's a closed universe. Now, if that's your view of the world, a closed universe view, then really there is no meaning or significance, or purpose in life. Because, as I said before, that view of the universe is that we are all accidents. 
Accidents, by definition, have no purpose or meaning. Now, don't just take my word for it. Take the word of probably one of the most famous atheist scientists. And look what Richard Dawkins says. He says, The universe that we observe has precisely the properties we should expect if there is, at bottom, no design, no purpose, no evil, no good, nothing but pitiless, blind, pitiless indifference. Yeah, he's a scientist, he's a closed universe person, and he's saying there is no meaning. Now, that is a pretty depressing view of life, isn't it? And most atheists, and even if you are doubtful of God exists, probably you don't believe that, which leads to the second view. And this is, by and large, the common view. And that is that meaning in life is self-made. Because if nature and evolution and even religion can't give us good answers when it comes to the question of meaning, then it's best that we make our own meanings. Yeah? So our significance, who we are, well, that's self-created. You can make yourself whoever you want to be. Don't let society or even genetics hold you back. You can be anyone you want to be. Yeah, significance is self-created. Purpose is also self-created. Find your passion, make your own goals, pursue them, and be happy. I wonder if that's your view. And it's a very appealing view. It's the popular default view for most Australians. And even if you've grown up with some sort of religion, this may still be your view. Now, by the way, I'm not here to tell you that you can't have a meaningful life And be happy if that's your view. That's not what I'm going to tell you at all. Plenty of people can and do. I do want to suggest, however, that this view of meaning, that you make your own meaning, is fragile, though. It's fragile. What I mean is it's easily broken. And maybe you're here because you've had that view of meaning and you're feeling that maybe it's become a little fragile. I'll give you three areas where I think it's fragile. Firstly, it's intellectually fragile. Um, as I said, not a lot of people, even atheists, hold to A, no meaning. But if you are an atheist, if you really believe this is a closed universe or that's more convincing to you, then actually the most intellectually consistent position is the position of Richard Dawkins. Yeah? At least he's being consistent, even if he's being a little bit depressing. So you can tell yourself that you can have a meaningful life if you just create meaning, but you have to do that, and most people do do that, by ignoring what you rationally believe to be true. Rationally, you know that there is nothing beyond life that gives you meaning, no design, no purpose, matter plus time plus chance. Random universe, no design, no purpose. Rationally, that's what you believe. But you have to switch that off in order to create your own meaning. Do you see what I mean? It's, it's, it, that's why it's intellectually fragile. And how about this? It, think about this. On a long enough timeline, and we're not talking just about hundreds of years, we're talking about thousands. How about millions of years? Let's just think a million years from now. Will who you are and what you do actually matter at all? If this is a closed universe, there's no design, no purpose, and life will just go on, maybe it'll go on in another galaxy, maybe our solar system will have imploded by then, who knows? But in a million years from now, whether you are a murderer or a saint, does it really matter? Well, you can tell yourself it does, but you kind of have to switch off your 
intellect in order to do that. Or, as I talked about last week, there's the multiverse theory. There's an infinite number of universes. It really does what anything we do matter, really. Intellectually, that's where it would lead you. All right, so you may pursue success or pleasure or knowledge, your own meanings, but the question is, can you turn off your brains enough, your intellect enough, if these are the things you believe about the world, close universe, in order to silence the doubts? Intellectually, it's fragile. It's also socially fragile, that is, in relation to each other. Um, because if we are all responsible for making our own meanings in life, then what happens when my meaning conflicts with your meaning? Or even more so, if my meaning hurts your meaning making? And then on what basis do we then judge? So for example, Kenzie, imagine if he pursues personal security and wealth, providing for his new wife, not that he had an old wife, he only has one wife, um, providing for his family, but he does it at the expense of the poor, right? It's not that he deliberately wants to rip people off, it's just that he owns a business and it happens to exploit workers in India, right? And, and in order to provide for his family, he's just going to have to turn a blind eye to it, right? But that's his meaning in life, because he wants to provide for his family, but it's at the expense of the poor. But then Jason makes it his meaning in life to alleviate poverty and to fight for the rights of workers in third world countries. Now, here's the thing. On what basis can you judge one is better than the other? I mean, most of us would think Jason's a better guy, which he is, but... um. But on what basis do you say that? Because if we all make our own meanings and there is no objective meaning, then how can we judge A is better than B or B is better than A? Do you see what I mean? I'll give you a live example. Steve Jobs. Everyone knows Steve Jobs, creator of Apple. Most would say he led a very meaningful life, very impactful life. He changed the tech world. He changed everything for anyone with any smart device. And yet, did you know, if you've read his biography, you know a little about his life, he was a real jerk. Like, I mean, not just jerk with a little, he was a jerk with a capital J, all right? He was nasty to people around him, especially his ex-wife and his daughter, who for most of her life, he denied that she even existed, that she was his. His meaning-making destroyed their meaning-making. Now, on what basis do we then judge Steve Jobs? Do we say, well... Because you did so much good for the tech world, we'll just kind of turn a blind eye to how much of a jerk you really were. Do you know what I mean? On what basis do you say one meaning was okay and the other isn't? It's socially fragile. So, uh, thirdly, um, self-made meaning is fragile when it comes to our experience, our life experience. So, for example, if I was born five foot tall, and that's all I'll ever be, 150 centimeters tall, I may decide that my purpose in life is to play for the NBA, all right, the American professional league, the best basketball players in the world. But you know what? I will not be able to fight genetics. If I'm only five foot tall, it just won't happen, no matter how talented a basketball player I am. You see, self-made meanings have limitations, all right? When, when someone tells you, be anyone you want to be, it's not true. You are still limited in some ways, and we all know it. Also, self-made meaning is so easily broken by life's difficulties. And this one you might have experienced. Um, 
I talk to a lot of migrants and uh, their, their, their families, and a lot of migrant parents, and a lot of you have experienced this, especially if you've come and you've especially had a difficult past, your parents may be refugees. Migrant parents will make, often, right, they make it their meaning in life to pursue what's best for their kids, you, the next generation. What they missed out on, what they had to escape from, right, so they will invest all of their time, money, they will make huge sacrifices, and some of you know this really well, for your education, for your career, for your happiness. But then I talked to a bunch of migrant parents, and they made their life about that, only to have their kids grow up and resent them. Or abandon them. Or use them. And then all of a sudden they're like, I don't know what I lived for. Why did I do that? See, their meaning was very fragile, broken by the experience of life. And it's very sad when that happens. Or maybe your meaning in life is to pursue fitness and health, only to be diagnosed with cancer. That happens a lot. Or you pursue a successful career only to have your marriage break down. Or you pursue wealth only to have it gone in a global downturn. You see, self-made meanings find it hard to survive the twists and turns and the difficulties of life. It's fragile. So the third option, right, there's no meaning or self-made meaning. The third option is what Christians believe, and it's what the Bible tells us, and that is meaning is not going to come from yourself, There is meaning, but it's not going to be self-made. It comes from God. Why? Because God is the one who made us. He's the creator. And he didn't make us as an accident or a product of accidents. It's not like he switched on things and just let it run. No, he designed us. Every single person, the Bible says, God knew you before you were even formed in the womb. He designed you. And he is in control of everything. And so for the Christian person, meaning is not something that you come up with yourself. It's actually being given to you. It's assigned to you by the one who made you, designed you. Who you are and what you're supposed to do is found in him. Now today I'm going to ask you to consider a trade. As I said, I'm not trying to tell you that your meaning making is not possible or not meaningful or you can't be happy, but I am going to ask you to Make a trade, especially if you've realized from what I said that it may be a little bit fragile or a lot fragile. Would you be willing to trade your self-made meaning or no meaning with one that God wants to give you? Now that, for some, immediately does not sound appealing at all, especially to a lot of modern minds, because the worst thing we can give up in in, in the modern world is our freedom, right? Our autonomy. I make my own decisions. I don't want religion or an outside authority, anyone to tell me how I'm supposed to live. It's not worth it. Even if I feel like this is fragile, I'd rather live with that than give up my autonomy. And maybe that's how you feel. And I recognize that. That's a huge thing to to trade self-made for God. But what if I could introduce you to a God, unlike the God that you might have come to know up to this point. A God who not only made you, but loves you so deeply and so unconditionally and who would give up everything to give you a new and better meaning. See, if I can introduce you to God like that, maybe, maybe then you'll be willing to give up and trade your meaning for His.
So what we're going to do for the rest of our time together is to go back to that bit that Grace read out for us. This, this is a heartwarming account. It really happened. It's, it's, it's by one of the biographers of Jesus, Luke, who a lot of ancient historians who aren't even Christians recognize that Luke was one of the finest ancient historians ever. And look what he says about a time when Jesus encountered a really interesting guy called Zacchaeus. Um, I'll show you the, um, the passage so you don't have to flip to it. But let's, let's read it again. I'll just spend the next few minutes pointing out some of the things that have to do with the question of meaning. So Jesus, verse 1, entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus, and he was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he couldn't see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him, since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down and at once welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, He is gone to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half my possessions to the poor. And if I've cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Now, I don't know if you've heard of this thing. It's called the Napoleon Complex. Have you heard of the Napoleon Complex? It's actually a real thing, apparently. They've done some studies. Anyway, Napoleon was a short guy. You probably know that. And uh, the Napoleon Complex is uh, when, when, well, it's a theory that shorter men, especially, try to make up for their shortness by being aggressive and jerky in other ways. So, they actually did studies where they actually found that shorter men are more likely to be jealous husbands and jealous boyfriends. you believe that? Apparently it's true. I'm sorry if you feel like you're a little bit short. It's not necessarily you, okay? Now, I don't know. I mean, that's supposedly a study. I don't know if it's just true or not. But it sort of applies to Zacchaeus. I, I think we can at least say that. Zacchaeus seemed to be one of those who we know was short, but he, he seemed like he really tried to compensate for his height. Because let's talk about meaning, right? Look what Zacchaeus does for meaning in life. Firstly, remember meaning is significance. Who, who is he? Well, who's Zacchaeus? He's short and so therefore literally insignificant, all right? Probably can imagine he grew up being ignored, probably unpopular, likely bullied. So he made it his mission in life to stand out in other ways. That's who he is. And so how he does it is, number two, purpose. What does he do with his life? What is his meaning in life? It's to make money. We find out that he was wealthy because wealth was his meaning. Now, you might not think much of that, Zacchaeus' is meaning-making, but again, if meaning is all self-made, who are you to judge? Who am I to judge? But do you see how fragile it is? Right, here is Zacchaeus, and his meaning-making was obviously, his self-made meaning was pretty fragile, because intellectually it was fragile. Firstly, how can wealth make up for, for his low self-esteem? You can't, right? Nothing can make up for your low self-esteem, especially external things like wealth. Socially, very fragile, because his meaning-making was actually damaging to others. You notice how people called him a sinner, right? In some sense... You know, the Bible says we're all sinners, but in, in this context, they're especially saying he's the worst. Why is he so bad? Well, because he's a tax collector, you see, and first century tax collectors were pretty much all thieves. They had the authority 
and the brutality to be able to take more taxes than they were supposed to collect. So they were thieves, robbed, good, honest people like you and me. But if you were a Jewish tax collector like Zacchaeus, he was also seen as a national traitor. Worst combination, right? A thief and a traitor because he was a Jew, but he was collecting taxes for the Romans who were the enemies, the overlords. This guy was socially damaging to others. His meaning in life hurt so many people. And then, of course, experientially fragile, his meaning-making, because he's here and he's not happy. It hasn't brought him happiness. He's looking for something else because his search for meaning has hit a dead end. And so Zacchaeus came for a trade. He was willing to trade both of his self-made significance, who he is, and his self-made purpose. What does he live for? So number one, significance. Do you see how he traded it? He was so willing to make a fool of himself. When it came to who he is, he was liberally giving away his dignity just to meet Jesus. I mean, this is supposed to be a little bit funny if you read it for the first time. It's quite comical. He has a grown man right, climbing a tree to see Jesus because, quite sadly, in the crowd, he couldn't see over everyone. I mean, that's the situation. My son is eight years old. He likes climbing trees and poles and pretty much anything, but he's eight. If I, a 41-year-old person, was doing that, you'd be right to make fun of me, okay? And Zacchaeus was more like 41, probably. A grown man climbing a tree just to see Jesus. Just to see the celebrity there I've been talking about, it makes the behavior of the worst K-pop fangirl seem normal. He throws dignity to the wind. He doesn't care about who he is. He, he gives that away. What about his purpose? Well, at the end of this encounter, we read earlier that Zach, Zacchaeus, was willing to trade all of his wealth, everything that he accumulated, everything that he had lived for, the whole reason why he lived, he was now going to give away. Can you imagine how delighted everyone was hearing right, that this guy who was so wealthy at their expense was not going to be wealthy anymore? And better yet, if it was at their expense, they were going to get a little bit wealthy now because he said, if I've cheated out of anyone, I'm going to pay back four times the amount. Right, just think about that. Imagine if you loan someone money and you're going to get four times the amount at the end of it. They're pretty happy. They got richer he would never be rich again because he was willing to trade his purpose. Now, why would he be willing to do that, to do that trade? His self-made meaning, just to meet Jesus. Well, it's because Jesus was going to give him something better. It was a trade-up. See, Zach, he gave up his significance only to be given a better one. He gave up his dignity only to be given a better one. You notice in this story that Jesus saw him. Jesus noticed him. Well, everyone just found him an annoyance, like that mozzie you want to just swat. Jesus didn't laugh at him. Jesus didn't make fun of him. Jesus goes up to him, and he calls Zach by name. And that doesn't happen a lot, by the way, in Jesus' encounters with people. We often don't find out people's names, but Jesus calls him by name. One of the regulars at our morning congregation, a girl called Joe Matthews, some of you know her, she's on a first-name basis with Delta Goodrum. I've known each other for like over a decade. First name basis, right? Sometimes Delta would like Instagram and mention Joe, and Joe would be able to retweet it or, you know, re what is it? 
re-Instagram it. Okay? Because they're on a first-name basis. That's pretty impressive, isn't it? First-name basis with a celebrity. Well, here is Zacchaeus on a first-name basis with Jesus. He never met Jesus, and Jesus was the biggest celebrity of his day. And it's not just honor then, but as I said, Jesus was giving him significance, identity. Because Jesus, you see, isn't just any man. He is God come in flesh. And imagine that. The creator of the universe becomes a man. He walks up to you and he says to you, which is what he does to Zacchaeus. And he says, of all people, he says to Zacchaeus, he says, hey, you know what? I know you. Other people might ignore you. Other people might hate you. But I know you. I made you. And I love you. You're important to me. Wow. (laughs) That was a real trade-up terms of significance. Well, what about the second thing about meaning? His purpose. He gave up his old purpose, but he was given a better one as well. Again, it was trading up. Because Jesus, after he calls Zach, and he says, Zach, come down immediately, he then says, I've got to stay at your house today. Now, Jesus was a traveling preacher. He needed somewhere to stay that night. But it's not just because of practical reasons. He could have asked anyone. If it was today, he could have used Airbnb. I don't know. But he didn't do that. He specifically wanted to stay at Zacchaeus' house. Of everyone's house, Zacchaeus' house. That was a high hospitality culture. A lot of our cultures are like that too. When someone invites, someone important invites himself to your place, it's not just practical. It's initiating a relationship. That's what I was doing. Jesus was starting a relationship. When you go to someone's house, it's actually inviting them into your life. Jesus was saying, Zach, I want to be part of your life now. And I want you to be part of mine. You see? And that was his new purpose. He gave Zach a new purpose, which was relationship, friendship with the God of the universe who made him and loves him and wants to be in his life. What what greater purpose could there be than to be in relationship with God? So you see, God that day met Zach and gave him meaning. And no wonder you get this little detail. Do you notice sentence number eight? Before Zach talks about what he's going to do with all his money, it says there, a little detail. You might not have caught it until now. It says, Zacchaeus stood up. That's a pretty important detail. Remember, he started as the little man who had to climb a tree to get noticed. But now he stands up. He was still short. But he stood up tall. Right? Inside his heart, he was seven foot tall because his life's been completely changed. He has what he was searching for all along. And so, on to my final point. My question at the beginning is, are you willing to trade? Are you willing to trade? Either your non-meaning or your fragile self-meaning for one that God is offering you today a meaning that cannot be taken away. And I want to let you know that it's so much more secure than the self-made one. As I said, the self-made ones is intellectually, socially, experientially fragile. Well, the meaning that God wants to give you, that Jesus wants to give you today is the opposite. Intellectually, it's very secure. Because if you know God and believe in God then you are, by definition, not an accident. And so you have meaning. 
Right? Intellectually, the search for meaning makes sense because we were all created by someone. Intellectually, that makes sense. Intellectually, it's not fragile. It's fragile if we search for meaning and yet we believe there is no God. Yeah? But if there is a God, then it makes perfect sense that a God who designed you and loves you would also want to give you meaning. And we were all created to have meaningful, deep, satisfying relationships with the God who made us. An ancient theologian said, God has made us for himself and our hearts are restless until we find rest in him. There's a God-shaped hole in all of our lives. It's intellectually secure. It's socially secure. Because unlike the fragile, I make meaning, you make meaning, even if my meaning hurts your meaning and we can't judge whose is better, you know what? If you are in relationship with God, and this is what Christians hold dearly to, the idea is that you are more important than me. Right? Christian meaning comes from putting other people before yourself, because that's what God does. So it's socially responsible, socially secure. And it's experientially secure. Here's the thing. Unlike self-made meanings, you can't fail. You can't fail. Because who you are and what you're made for is unconditional. It's not based on performance. It's not like the career that you want to chase but can go in a second because you get fired or retrenched. It's not like the health that you so want to have that can be damaged by a sickness. It's not like the relationship you so treasure that can be destroyed by conflict. This is not something that you can lose because it's given to you. And the Bible says not even death can take it away because it's relationship with God and death actually just makes it better. So are you willing to trade? As I said, it takes a lot of trust to give up your autonomy, to trade it, but might I suggest that it's a well-placed trust. It's a well-placed trust. Because here's the thing, Jesus made a trade for you. Right? When Jesus asks you and I to give up our self-made significance and purpose, our meanings in exchange for the one he gives us, he is not asking us to do anything he hasn't already done. Because you see, the Bible says that Jesus is God become a man. Think about that. God, creator, become a creature, a human which means that he had to lay aside all of the dignity and power and wealth that belonged to him as the creator of the universe in order to become like one of us. Talk about giving up your significance. He traded dignity for humiliation. He traded power for weakness. And we read further in the Bible that the reason why Jesus came was so that he could go to the cross. That on the cross, as he bled and died and was hung there, he was making the ultimate trade. He was trading his life for ours. He was trading his perfection for our brokenness. Because while God made the world, we broke it. And now Jesus was going to fix it by taking on the punishment for the way that we've broken everything between God and us, between us and each other, between us and our environment. Jesus takes that and he trades his life for ours, takes the punishment in our place so that he could, in the words of Jesus in the last verse there, verse 10, so that he could come and seek and save the lost. That's why he came. He made a trade. And so it's this Jesus, not just random God. It's this God who is asking you to perhaps make a trade today. Your self-made meaning that is so very fragile to trade for what he gives you because he loves you 
He's willing to die for you. And if you have this sort of meaning, not even death can take it away. So what's next? Well, for most of you, you've heard already, one of the best ways for you to take the next step is just to keep coming, okay? Next week, we're going to look at another question for God. is about suffering. The week after, actually, talked a little bit about, you know, something that death can't even take away. The last week is going to be what happens after we die. But I want to, again, just add to uh, what both Dom and Tan said, fresh. I mean, this, this forum is me talking for half an hour. Fresh is, you hear a little bit of a short presentation, but really it's around small tables over coffee and dessert, and you're chatting, and you're asking questions, and you get to put in your two cents worth, and you get to hear what other people think. That's a really good forum to investigate more. And it's going to, you know, week one of Fresh is going to ask, what is the good life? Hey, you want to hear more about meaning, that's probably a good one to come to. Why does Jesus offer the good life? What is it? But then as Tan said, you might just want to say, well, how can I even trust that the Bible is true? Well, we're going to do that in week two of Fresh. How can I trust in Jesus and what he's done for us? The subsequent weeks will deal with that. So Fresh is like, come, it's five weeks of your life. You know, it's really worth it. That's going to be most of you, I think. But for some. For some, maybe you've heard what I've said today. It's not the first time you've heard it, but maybe you really feel like it's the first time in a significant way, that maybe even God is particularly tugging at your heart. And maybe today you don't want to wait anymore. You, you want to make the trade today. You want to trade your meaning or no meaning for Jesus' meaning. And you want to take up his invitation today, this afternoon. And if that's you, I don't want you to wait either. Just do it, okay? It's not complicated. You can tell Jesus now. And so I want to help you do that. Now, on, um, on the, the right side of your bulletins, but also I'm going to put up the, um, the same thing on the screens behind you. I'm going to lead us in a short prayer. It's not anything magic or special. It's just putting into words the kind of thing that you would say to Jesus today if you wanted to make the trade today, become a follower of him today, and have a new meaning in relationship with him today. As I said, it may not be most of you, but in case it is you, in a moment, I'm going to pray it, and if this is your prayer, and you don't want to wait anymore, and God is telling you to do it today, then as I pray it, why don't you echo it in your head to God? He'll hear you. All right? Now, to make it easier for those who do want to pray it, I'm going to ask you uh, right now, to, if, if everyone can just kind of look down, bow your heads is what we sometimes call it. This way you're not looking around and other people who want to pray it and genuinely want the time to talk to God won't feel self-conscious. As I said, if this is you and you're willing to do this today, no matter how, how long you've been with us, maybe you've never really done this, maybe you need to do it afresh, then as I pray it now, will you echo these words in your head to God, to Jesus? All right, let's go. Dear Jesus, I'm sorry for trying to make my life meaningful without you. I know that's hurt you and others and myself. Please forgive me. Thank you that you died on the cross for me and rose again so I can be forgiven. Please come into my life and change it. I want relationship with you to begin today. Amen. Can I say if... Uh, I'll get the band to come up and get ready, but if you've prayed that... And for you, it was really genuine, heartfelt. Then 
this is great news because to, today, this afternoon, you walked in and maybe you, you thought you had meaning, but it was a fragile one. Maybe you felt like there was no meaning. But you can be 100% sure that you're going to walk out today with the best kind of meaning possible. Relationship with Jesus has started because you prayed that. And it will go on for all eternity, not even death. And certainly not anything in life can take it away. So that's great news. And that's a fantastic step that you've taken. And we at Southwest, we want to help you in that journey. As well as if you hadn't taken that step, but you just want to, you know, really find out more, want to come to Fresh. So I'll come back in a moment to explain how we're going to get that uh, help to you. But we're going to sing. And then uh, I'll come back in a moment and explain that. Let's sing. Uh, the song that we're going to sing is called...